inside this steel cage, I'm gonna fly the biggest set of braces in the history of the World Wrestling Federation to your team! <laughs> Isaac Yank of DDS, Jerry Lawler, you are both respectively the Tartar and the Abscess of the World Wrestling Federation. And tonight, inside this 15-foot high steel cage, I am going to be your personal hygienist. Bret Hart, tonight, Isaac Yankum is going to cure your gingivitis and overbite. When he gets through with you, you're going to look like your trench mouth mother. <laughs> and I know his victory is under lock and key. <laughs> Let me tell you something. 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 Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me tell you something, man. generations having it out dishing out the punishment and taking on the criticism making verbal spars and jousting and i tell you what it's got to the point where their differences cannot be sorted in a traditional form of debate this is going to take place within certain confines it's going to take place within a steel cage because we're going to be discussing the steel cage match and we have crafted ourselves a steel cage of debate it's got some loose wiring. It's not really been properly put together. Frankly, the blueprints were all over the shop. But we're going to keep going. And if you hear some slight scratching and ah sounds, we're just going to keep on going. Anyway, this is Let Me Tell You Something. I am your co-host, Lorcan Mullen. And with me, as always, is the flying Brian Pillman to my stunning Steve Austin. The pretty Paul Roma to my Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. The whatever Eric Watts' name was in Techno Team 2000 to my whoever the other guy was in Techno Team 2000, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing, mate? I'm doing good. I always thought if we were to uh, personify our type style of debate as a steel cage, it wouldn't want to be. It wouldn't be one of these fancy uh, mesh types. I think we're more blue bar than yeah, blue you realise. Ah, oh, well, we're getting we're getting right into it already because that's what we're discussing, ladies and gentlemen. The steel cage match. Now, um, we had debates beforehand when we were messaging back and forth about this episode. Uh, what are we defining as steel cage? Now, what we've agreed upon is that a steel cage match is a match taking place in a single ring, one ring. The cage surrounds all four sides of the ring, no ceiling. And there's no way of wrestling on the side, outside the ring. It's not like the cell match where there's a certain amount of space outside of the ring as well. It's just two, four, six, however many people taking part in the match duking it out inside the cage and it's not over until one guy is out of the cage and one guy's lying traditionally in a bit of a bloody mess on the floor on the mat simon do you have any recollections of your first cage match that you saw well the first cage match i remember and the one that is truly ingrained in my head uh this isn't the first one i saw but this is the first one i remember was the uh, quite famous Matt Hardy versus Edge steel cage match when they were doing the life imitates art storyline. Mm. Well, or art imitates life storyline, I should or say. shoot becomes kayfabe. <laughs> if you want to get all cool and insider. <laughs> and technical on it. Yeah, indeed. And it was, it was a strange one because the precursor to it was that Matt Hardy had lost by referee stoppage at SummerSlam. Mm. And cage matches, matches typically, they're tacked on to uh, avoid obstacles such as interference. Mm. And there was no real interference in that yeah. previous match. Or as so far in the rivalry, it was just a straight... Matt Hardy versus Edge, like, you know, you messed with, well, you've stolen my woman, I'm going to, like, you know, try and ruin your your upsurgent rise, because he had the briefcase at the time. Mm. And it, it, it 
looking back, why it was a case. So at the time I was a kid going, oh my god, it's in a case, this is awesome. But now I'm just thinking, that doesn't really make any booking sense. But it was a damn fine match. Uh, mm. Finished with a 15 high leg drop off the top rope from Matt Hardy. And a move that his hips will hate him for for the rest yeah. of his life. Oh man, anyone who executes a leg... I remember as a kid just being... I never wanted to do a leg drop, even as a kid. Because even on grass, I was like, I don't want to land bum first on any kind of surface. Except for my boyfriend. Um... Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> If I were gay, that'd be okay. I mean, because, hey, I'd like me anyway. That was a bit of Avenue Q there for you, Simon. I have no idea where you've gone with that. You're not but, a fan uh, of puppet-based Sesame Street-inspired musical theatre from the noughties? Uh, no, I've not seen Avenue Q. You should, uh, it's actually yes. one of the few mu- musicals I can tolerate sitting through. Um, but, anyway, back to the modern-day opera that is professional wrestling... Seamless segue from um, my right there. first steel cage match was one of my first memories as well, and it was SummerSlam '90. It was Hulk. It was the Ultimate Warrior making his first pay-per-view defense of the WWF Championship against the only man who had beaten him at that point, one ravishing Rick Rude. Now, with that one, I don't think... See, it's interesting you're saying that steel cages are very often designed as a means to uh, prevent interference. And sometimes that's what they're set, they're used for. But very often it's just a feud capper. It's a blow-off. That was something that had been built up over a year, I mean, on and off. Uh, they first started feuding in 1989, when Rick Rue challenged him to a pose down, then beat him up with a weightlifting bar afterwards... Then they had the WrestleMania 5 match where Ultimate Warrior lost the title to him thanks to Bobby Heenan. Then Ultimate Warrior would go around beating up Bobby Heenan whilst Rick Rude would defend his title against other people. Then they'd have the SummerSlam match where Rick Rude lost title thanks to Roddy Piper interference. And then when Ultimate Warrior had beaten Hogan and they needed fresh opponents, they went back to ravishing Rick Rude. And it was really the feud reigniting and them having the steel cage match as if it's the blow-off. You know, they have one each, one victory each. Now the decider. And also, to emphasise the seriousness of a steel cage match, Rick Rude changed his look and he changed his style. And they made a whole thing about him training montages and preparing for the match. And as a kid, I just love the idea of, as I always said, a 15 foot high steel cage. A steel cage match sounds awesome. Very often when people don't know much about wrestling or they try and do the cliche version of wrestling they will say I'll meet you in the cage like if John Stewart's making a reference or if Jim Carrey's making a reference in Liar Liar they'll talk about a steel cage match or in Spider-Man when Bone Saw's ready <laughs> to take on Spider-Man in a match they have a steel cage in it well I think so that's more cages, to uh, steel cage show... is one of the more well known facets of professional wrestling mm. I think in the Spider-Man case, that was more to showcase the uh, newfound athleticism that Peter Parker had. I know, but it wasn't like... They weren't thinking like, oh, people who don't know much about wrestling won't understand what a steel cage match means. It's in common parlance. I think most people know that wrestling has cage matches. And of course, from there came UFC, and people who don't know anything about mixed martial arts will refer to that as cage fighting. That's true. It's like... um, It's the barbarity of that term, cage. You're caged like a caged animal. It's, I'd say, it's the one. You're right. I'd say it's one of the most recognisable gimmicks like uh, non-wrestling fans would go to. I think the only alternative really is, uh, I'd say, a push ladder. But that's only because of uh, one generation. I'd say the cage match was historically the two one. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Ladders maybe taken the place of the cage matches. The gimmick match of choice. I mean, I don't know. You could probably do a stat thing of how many cage matches have there been since 1994 and how many ladder matches have there been. Well, maybe not Maybe not since 94. Maybe since 99 when the Hardys and Edge and Christian had that first ladder match. And then ladder matches, you know, there must be at least two or three or four of those every year after that. And very, much on, very often on the house show circuits, when they... The tradition in the 80s in WWF and the 70s and the 60s with Bruno Sammartino and Bob Backlund is they do a circuit with one wrestler, with one opponent, two or three times. The heel will win the first match by disqualification. Then they win 
the second match by countouts, and then to prevent any shenanigans, the third time they went round to the same venues, you know, the Boston Garden, Madison Square Garden, the Philadelphia Spectrum, uh, all that sort of northeastern area, then it would take place in the cage, and that's when Samatino, Morales, uh, Backland would get the one up on their opponent who can't finally can't escape them, and. And and that continued on through the 80s. Guys like, you know, British Bulldogs had a run of cage matches with the Dream Team. Randy Savage would have a run of cage matches with Tito Santana. Tito Santana famously had many cage matches with Greg the Hammer Valentine. It was the staple gimmick match of the WWF. WrestleMania 2, headlined by a cage match between Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy. So, go on, sir. Which is weird when you think about it, because um, cage matches... They are good to look at. They are good to watch, but not, I wouldn't say in the arena they're good to watch. I, I don't, have wondered that, yeah. Apparently, the, that's one of the reasons they dropped the chamber, which I know we weren't going to go into great detail, but it's sort of like a Cage's steroided-up cousin. Mm. Um, because it just was a p- pure viewing experience for those in attendance. Yeah. I think what is interesting about the blue bars is I think that was a WWF design specifically to allow the crowd to see it more clearly. I mean, to be fair, if you're if you're it's sitting in the bleachers or the, the second tier, you can see over into the ring, and so it's really more the ringside seats. You, in theory, the more expensive seats where it might be a bit harder for them to see. Um, but the wrestlers always hated the blue bar cage, though, because they were really tough. There was no give to them. Whereas the sort of chicken wire mesh cages, there was some give. They could mm. clasp onto it more easily and. Uh, rub their faces against the mesh to bring the to push the blood out further. They do look um what's the word? More le- more legitimate, I'd say, than the blue bar. The blue bar cage always looked a little bit cartoonish. Mm. Uh looking back. I think if it was mind you, if you had it a grey bar cage, I don't think it would have been as aesthetically pleasing as a blue one. But mm. the blue one I mean, yeah, you're right, it was better to look into because there were so many caps in it. Mm. But on the other hand, it was... It just looked too cumbersome, if you know what I mean. Sort of too like clumsy as a cage. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, but it, 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 it worked. they kept that look from about... Nine, well, that cage match with Bundy was in Blue Bar Cage. That was 86. And they really stopped using the blue bars around about the time that Hell in a Cell came along. I think um, so. The it, last... So it ran for about 10, 12 years with the blue bars or the black bars for a while. The last blue bar cage match I can remember actually was the dreadful Kennel from Hell match between Al Snow and the Big Boss Man, which was a cage surrounded by a cell. And between the cell and the cage were Rottweilers that were apparently so barbaric and rabid that they would attack anyone that came near them, but instead they just started pissing and shitting and screwing all around the ringside area. Never work with children or animals. It's a fundamental of the business, and or it the was forgotten there. <laughs> well, Big Boss Man was... All right, Al Snow. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Um, but um, I think I know this, and I think it was only purely because that's the only version of the cage they had in the UK at the time. Mm. It was either on something called Rebellion or Insurrection. I That's believe true, the actually, last one right, was Edge yeah. versus Christian. Yeah, and they did use that to an um, uh, amusing um, finish where Christian got his legs trapped between the, the two cages and Edge was able to jump down. Uh, I think it was they used a similar finish with uh, Owen and Bret Hart in the SummerSlam 94 Classic. That was your cage match. Yeah, one thing blue bar the heel getting crotched and his comeuppance yeah, as yeah. poor genitalia was smashed repeatedly oh, into a blue bar I think the best example of that getting crotched was when X-Pac fell crotch first onto the open door when Chris Jericho was wrestling him once in I think it was No Mercy 2000 sometime around that time oh it looked brutal I, anyone who can take that falling off crotch first and arse first onto you know, let alone the, the, the top turnbuckle, but the bloody slim, hard cage door. Oh, fair play to you. Yeah, I mean, you've got to really want mm. to uh, impress with a spot like that. Like, you don't, you, 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 there's no way of going into that half-arsed <laughs> or uh, excuse the pun. Yeah, uh, as X-Pac found out when he became half-arsed when he did a Bronco Buster a few years later. Oh, ha. <laughs> uh, 
I tell you what. But you mentioned, um, it's a good segue there, because you mentioned the door, and that was the significant change, apart from the aesthetics, to the cage when it um, was no longer blue bar, is the fact that there was a uh, different way of escaping. No, there were, sort of there were doors in the blue bar era. Uh, no, true, but I think it was incorporated uh, more. Yeah, maybe. Um, I was gonna. I was wondering when to get to this. Uh, first, I'll, I'll get to it after. I've got a point. I really want my main point. I want to raise in this about cage matches. I'm just gonna hold off for a bit. What are some of the other things that make when you think about cage matches? What are some of the things you think about? What are some of the spots you think about? What are some of the the moments or gimmicks on attached to the main gimmick? It's uh, the fundamental one. I think the one that everyone, when they see a cage match, go goes, oh, we'll see this. It's a the dive off the top. I think there was an episode where they just, out of nowhere, they recognised the Bray Wyatt-Jericho feud recently, and it was in the cage, just 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 because. Mm. I think they were like trying to go up against something, or it was a landmark episode. Yeah, I think... And there's a point where that, he's... Yeah, some sort of special episode. There's a point where he's on the top of the cage, Jericho, and he just looks at the crowd, the crowd are just going, yeah, yeah, we're getting what we want, we're getting what we want, and he just like goes... Sort of in this like sort of knowing way, just goes, shrugs his shoulders, and then does a crossbody off the top rope, mm. top rope, top. Yeah, of the cage. I mean, I was about to say it's not that common. It definitely wasn't that common in the early days, except for Jimmy Superfly Snooker, of course, famously doing that. Um, but I think one of the uh, classic. I mean, I'm just thinking back to that first ep- that first cage match I saw between the Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude, and Rick Rude actually did jump off the top of the cell to execute a, a double axe handle on the Ultimate Warrior, which was daring as hell. Because I'll tell you, I think I think he's. It almost seems like he couldn't possibly have stood off the top of the cell because it's so like he must have gone one bar down to give himself some room. Because one of the reasons that it's a little bit easier for them to jump off now is because they've got that extra steel girder that holds the cell up that holds the cage up because that's one of the reasons I also think they went to the blue mesh cages was because they now do the thing where they lower the cage down yeah. which means it's a lot quicker and easier to construct like back in the day of the the Ultimate Warrior Hulk Ho- the Ultimate Warrior Rick Rude match or the Bret Hart Owen Hart match they'd have to have like a 10-15 minute segment in between of interviews or whatever mm. so that they could put the cage up Whereas now, all they had to do was descend it down and just make sure that it slots into its uh, preordained positions. That and it's got its own theme tune now. Yeah, the bum 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 and the lights going, which is good. You know, adds you know an ominous tone to it. It worked more. It it was more ominous back, especially when the cell went down in the late nineties when it was. The Hell in the Cell was renowned for the crazy, crazy stunt from Mick Foley's time he had. I mean, we don't want to talk too much about the Hell in the Cell, but that just, you know, Jerry Law, the classic JR call. It is a perverse, vile structure. And then Jerry Law would go, it's satanic! <laughs> but that's, that's, that's something, actually, that's something that the wrestlers do as well. They, they, they incorporate it into the match. Like, very often when one, when the first wrestler goes out, one of the things they'll do is they'll push at the cage and they'll test the cages how much give it's got, which is just for show, really. Mm. But it is a sense of this is something different, this is something new, this is something that I'm not used to. I don't, you know, I'm wrestling cages a couple of times in my career if I'm lucky, and so I'm therefore having to understand it more. Like, uh, or rather, if I'm lucky, I'll only wrestle in the cage a couple of times in yeah, my career. Yeah, it's the- yeah. It's well, the more dread that goes with it, almost. Ah, and it's brilliant, especially with the cameraman they have in there. Um, especially if they get the visuals just right on their face. I mean, the facials really sell a cage, mm. I think. Um, which is one of the reasons why I think it's uh, a match, is because it's got that element of... You mentioned earlier, like, they're trapped, they're caged like an animal. And especially with the mesh compared to the blue bar, it's that moment where it's one guy gets his face pressed against it and someone there's always a cameraman there just to get that close-up of that helpless human being at that moment and he he has nowhere to go there is no plan Mm. what can you do at this point uh okay here's another thing as you say for facial expressions and visuals do you feel like a cage match is one of those matches where you don't need it but um, but it's improved if there's blood should there be blood in a cage match ideally i don't think you need it the trouble is, and this is the trouble with most gimmick matches, is that uh, we have got so used to it 
having blood in a gimmick match. It's become part of the furniture. Mm. Now, now that piece of furniture is taken away in terms of WWE. I mean, admittedly not in TNA or Ring of Honor. Um, but now it's been taken away. Fans are like, oh, well, it's... There, there are some that go, oh, it's boring because there's no blood. Blood doesn't make or break any match on its own. It's just an enhanced... It's a cherry on a cake. It's not the straw that broke any camel's back, particularly. I personally think you don't need it. But there's the barbaric, you know, uh, base-level wrestling fan of me, I guess. Not base-level. That sounds a bit uh, snobby, but... I do like blood, but I like there to be a reason for blood. I don't like blood for blood's sake. Mm. Well, the reason that there's sense for there being blood is, first of all, like you say, to to up the barbacity stake, saying this is them going further and further than they have done before. Um, And also, the reason that there's blood is very often to signify the end. (sighs) That this has come down, this has reached its violent apex, and the apex of violence visually is blood being shed. It's uh, no longer wrestling, it's a fight between these two. Yeah, Ring of Honor used to do that really beautifully at the start. Whenever one wrestler caused the other wrestler to bleed, that was the instinct, that was the sign that this feud had gone up another level, and that there was a very good possibility that either this feud will be settled with either the fight without honor, or the steel cage. Because very often... Ring of Honor was calling back to classic wrestling storylines um, and wrestling feuds. Mm. And and using the steel cage as the feud capper was a tradition within um, Ring of Honor. Steel cage warfare for the faction matches, but steel cage matches such as uh, CM Punk ending his feud with Jimmy Rave or BJ Whitmer ending his feud with Jimmy Jacobs. Um, that was a callback to the time when Hulk Hogan ends his feud with King Kong Bundy with the cage match, or where he ends his feud with Paul Orndorff with the cage match, mm. or where Bret Hart ends his feud with Owen Hart in the cage match, or or it, or it puts a, a definitive, it, even if they might continue onwards, there's that sign that this is the end of a certain point of it, which is something that I think is lost today. Very few feuds are capped with a cage match it's just a cage match is a bump along the road example being um, Edge and Christian had that cage match but then the feud was ended quote unquote by the ladder match they had a few weeks after which was Loser Leaves Town okay Um, you think you're right on that point especially with Bray Wyatt John Cena this time last year I mean Extreme Rules was the second match in their three match series and that was a cage match Mm. Whereas before, with the Brock Lesnar Triple H uh, feud capping, they ended up in a cage, and that made set that that, that made more sense as the uh, as the third match, mainly because Brock was a cage fighter, and interference had played a factor or attempted to play the factor in the second match. That was a good logical conclusion, but to that point, even though it's sort of lost its allure as a fuel as a feud capper do you think the cage has been protected as opposed to the cell which hasn't been protected as at least in wwe it doesn't have a set pay-per-view to be on Um, i mean we've i mean tna has lethal lockdown i mean i think in the end they stopped doing every match as a cage match i don't know if they've gone back to it or not i even forgot about that yeah continue sorry but that, that that's my point. Sometimes I think that's what's ruined the cell somewhat is the fact that, oh, we're going to have a cell because it's November or, or, or October or whenever it is. I think it's late October. I think you have a point that they've diluted the cell by the calendar requirements of it instead of the feud reaching that boiling point where it requires it. Mm. But the problem is that the, the, the existence of the cell itself has diluted the specialness of the cage. And the idea is that the cell is that one level higher of barbarism than the cage can provide because the cell allows plunder, it allows you to go outside the ring, it's got the ceiling, so there's literally no escape. They wrestle at the top of the cell. It's a larger structure, and therefore it's a more ominous structure, and therefore it's a more dangerous structure, and therefore it's a more important structure. As Vince McMahon and the poster for the 1998 crap fest Godzilla would tell you, size does matter. And the 15-foot cage was superseded by the 18-foot cell. So they diluted each other in that way. I mean, for example, we've just come from a good, but not great, Seth Rollins-Randy Orton cage match. Next month, they're going to have a triple threat match with Roman Reigns. 
So what's the point of the cage match? Ah, oh, well, oof. booking-wise, you could say that Seth was like saying, "I've beaten, I've beaten them both," and it's more the subplot of Kane and the authority there. Yeah, but what's the point? Wanting to delve too much. But you know, the tradition of the cage is that it's the feud ender, and of course, there's the whole "oh, no one can escape." Uh, but also, to get to your point as well, I mean, you look at that Extreme Rules before then. It was Cena v. Uh, it was Cena v. Bray in the cage, and then it was Triple H v. Lesnar in the cage. I can't remember further back to other Extreme Rules if there were cage matches in those as well. So the cage does seem to be associated with the Extreme Rules. So again, it's not necessarily. Well, we've had one for the last three years. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if we had one in 2011. I can't remember that far back. Or 2012. No, that was the year of Cena Lesnar. That wasn't one then. I don't think. Mm. Okay. But anyway, let's get... Okay, now I'm going to go with my most controversial opinion I'm going to bring to the plate. Um, What is the traditional rules for a cage match? How does one win a cage match, Simon? How does one win a cage match? I would say that... Well, you want to go for the traditional rules. I know what you want me to say. Mm. But um, you want me to say it's escape only. I prefer the pinfall and submission options on as well, to be honest. And that's where I would agree with you to an extent, Simon, because this is my controversial opinion. The escaping from the cage rule is a little bit stupid. Or it's very stupid. Because, here's here's my devil's advocate here, uh, because that might be seen as a bit of a sacrilegious uh, opinion. If you hate each other to the point that you have to be confined to a steel cage to battle it out. Why is the winner the one that runs away? I think it's not... Because not all cage... Well, because typically... Oh, we can't take any more of each other. We've got to go into a cage. But sometimes it's the uh, baby face getting his way and going, right, I want it in a cage. And I think a great example of that was... Uh, Orton Seth in terms of the heel did not want to be in that cage mm. he did not want to be that at all it's I, I agree in the sense that it is a bit stupid uh, when a face wins by escape that makes very little sense to me unless you're going up against a super monster heel but it's not always the case why would the face win by retreating mm. I agree with that I think the reason that pinfall and submission is there and should be there is so the babyface has a way of getting out, uh, of winning the match and looking strong. Mm. Yeah, but um, at the same time, the babyfaces will try to escape. John Cena was going to win that match against Bray Wyatt until the creepy kid started singing uh, He's Got the Whole World in His Hand with a voice manipulator. Randy Orton was trying to escape the cage. But Bray wasn't covering the heel then. When Bray Wyatt was fighting Chris Jericho, they were both fighting to get out through the door. They weren't even fighting to do the brave climbing up and climbing out. They were trying to escape through a door. One of the things I liked about the cage match when it was the escape rule only, especially in the early days of the WWF, was that the referee wasn't in the ring. So it really was just these two people hashing out the differences. There wasn't even a slightest visual distraction of a referee being in there. It does. I mean, I I before this I watched uh, Hogan versus the Giant in WCW, their Super Brawl match inside a cage, which was uh, unsanctioned or something like that. It was unsanctioned, yeah. and therefore the referee was in the cage. And it, the removal of that one man, and the referee's not really a big man, like that permanent fixture, but the removal of him. Doesn't half make the ring look huge. Yeah, exactly. It looked like it had loads of space to work with. Exactly, and that was a very striking image when I first saw Rick Rude wrestling the Ultimate Warrior, and there wasn't a referee. So it was just these two men, two men settling their differences. It was just the ref by the cage door opening it up upon command or closing it, or if Bobby Heenan gets his head gets his hand on it, slamming the cage door into the opponent's head, which is always a great spot, but if you ask Mick Foley when China did it to him at SummerSlam 97, it is a painful spot. <laughs> Especially if it's China. Jesus, yeah. those biceps. Yes. Anyway, um, what I was going to say, in terms of what I was going to ask you, rather, okay, to say that you don't like escape only then, but what is your favourite method of someone winning a cage match? This is going to give away a certain amount of one of my Mount Rushmore ones, but here's what I think. I think the ideal finish for a steel cage match is also for it to be an I quit match. 
in that you only win by forcing the other person to submit. Now, this we eliminated this match from the discussion, but War Games ending in submission always made sense in that regard, that one team just punishes the other team in this most brutal of landscapes until one person has to just give up. To me, if I was running a promotion... Again, we get to that <laughs> old chestnut. If I was running promotion and I ran a submission match, uh, if I ran a cage match, it would also be a submission match. That the two men wouldn't leave until one person or two women wouldn't leave until one of them gave up and the feud was over. Okay, their, so it, their score was settled. So, in your promotion, just to clarify, then your cage match isn't pinfall or escape; it's just submission. Just submission. DQ think- on or off. Of course DQ off, because it's in a steel cage, so you're smacking people into cages. You say that. I, I recently saw, I think it was the New Age Outlaws versus Gold and Stardust, when they were Gold and Stardust. I think, no, it's still, he was still Cody then. But uh, they had a tag cage match where it could only end by pinfall or submission, and it wasn't even Tornado tag. It was one of the most bizarre things yeah, I've ever seen. Yeah, that's always boggled my mind a bit, cage matches with tag rules. But then again, I'll tell you what, even a weirder one was... Um, and this is another reason why I hate the escape rules at times. It was Randy Savage and Strike Force against the Honky Tonk Man and the Heart Foundation in the cage match. And that was also done in tag rules for the longest time. And then, it, But it was escape rules. And one guy, one of the baby faces escapes, but by doing so, he screws his team because they're suddenly in a handicap situation. So mm. it was really... I mean, this is the thing about tag matches. The baby, the baby face guy usually typically escaped which is a very heelish thing to do you're right but then you have to do it because the alternative is to have your heel a heel team at a disadvantage mm. a heel against two baby faces isn't compelling but it just makes the baby, baby faces, faces look like thick as pig shit you know <laughs> like they'll say yeah you guys go on ahead and climb out yeah you go now you go not you mate beat him to a bloody pulp and then walk out of the cage one after it's the other a, especially when you're playing on the games tag matches when you're both on the same tag team it was the hottest source of contention <laughs> me and my friends if i'd like if i buggered off first and like he was two on one i would get death stares for the <laughs> entire match instead of friendships being i mean like- it's Girls, the friendships were ruined by poor cage res- uh, escape strategies. <laughs> I mean, this is the because some people turn around and say, like even on that, uh, they logically to win that to win the game. I mean, I know like video game booking compared to like video game strategy compared to actual wrestling strategy is very different. Yeah, in video game strategy, just make- you want to be Perry Saturn whenever you have a battle royal. <laughs> Basically, the video game strategy we basically adopted was to let one of them escape and then beat the crap out of the other <laughs> one until they could barely stand and then just walk out. Mm. I mean, that logically is the right thing to do. I mean, yeah. you've got to, it's, it's like escape chicken in a sense. Yeah, well, actually, funny you say uh, escape chicken because I do remember at one point uh, recently when I was watching old 93 Monday Night Raws, there was a Steiner Brothers versus Money Inc. cage match. And at the end of it, when one of them was trying to, the other guys on each team were trying to escape. They, uh, the 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 uh, opposing team member that had already escaped, like put his head underneath so he was carrying him around so his feet couldn't touch the ground. <laughs> it allows for inventive finishes as well, um, and sometimes screwy finishes as well. When you think it's going to be the definitive feud ender, examples: Jimmy Snooker against Don Morocco, and this happened a few times when they want a heel to win a match. It will very often be like the babyface drop kicks his opponent, and then that sends them sailing back into the door, through the door, outside the ring, and they had no knowledge of it. Classic example of that as well, when um, Austin had his cage match with Vince McMahon at some Valentine's Day massacre, and the Big Show, or Big Nasty Paul White, as he was known back then, uh, sent Austin hurtling into the cage, and the whole of the wall of the cage went sailing across and... Austin landed and looked like he couldn't understand what the hell had just happened. It was it was a weird one that one because again we get a few of those. Uh, I think I saw one on WCW involving Goldberg um, spearing a guy through a cage and he touched the floor first. That was Vince Russo and that meant Vince Russo was the WCW champion. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> so 
See, that shows that I've only watched, A, I've only watched that once. B, I wasn't there at the time, so it didn't really scar me as much as it scarred you. And C, even with those two qualifiers, I still elected to not remember what happened as a result of it. Yeah, unlike, unlike Vince Russo and his claimed actual concussion, you probably just went somewhere and gave yourself a genuine concussion in that moment so that you would unremember what had just happened. Ah, <laughs> oh, it was, oh, that, that was, that was silly. But to your point, about blow off. Do you think Sorry, one of the things that has <laughs> Do you think one of the reasons that the cage match and the cell match, let's face it, both have had their value somewhat diminished is these objects which are meant to keep two men in and the rest of the world out don't. They simply don't. WWE uh, and, and TNA and all of the promotions for the most part have diluted all their gimmicks. Because they use them too much. They have too many ladder matches. They have too many cage matches. They have too many cell matches. They bring them in when there's no emotional stakes to warrant that happening. They just bring it in for the sake of bringing it in. It's like how Hollywood movies very often say, you've got to have an action scene every ten pages. And even if there's no reason for it, suddenly bad guys will turn up. And it's like, oh, we've got to have an action scene. Sometimes you can... Like, some films are just defined by action set pieces like the Furious Fast and the Furious films are defined by we're going to do this cool car stunt we're going to do this cool car stunt we're going to do this cool car stunt and let's just make the tenuous links between them now the only reason certain feuds happening or certain gimmick matches happening is it's June or (laughs) September yeah which is totally the wrong reason to have a gimmick match and that's why I detest with a um, passion, the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view. Uh, the fact that it is just that way. I don't mind it for Money in the Bank, because mm. that makes sense. There's one opportunity a year. Same just with like, the Rumble. Just like that, Rumble, yeah. And, and maybe King yeah. of the Ring if that comes back again. Uh, which it has. Yeah, but um, they make they that did. an annual fixture. Yeah, if they make that an annual fixture. But I'd like that to be its own separate pay-per-view, but that's by the by. Well, just very um, quickly, what if I was if I was if I had my booking cap on, I would love them to make the hell the King of the Ring like a midway point between an NXT show and a pay-per-view. Have it in a two thousand to five thousand seat arena in somewhere like Chicago or New York. Have it take place over a weekend and just allow them to go balls out on the network and and like allow people to have like a seat like a weekend pass that they can go to the whole thing. And just let some of you guys just let them go loose. Make it like Battle of Los Angeles or or um, Trios tournament, but with a bigger budget and a bigger scale, and in theory, bigger stakes. Anyway. No, that makes sense. But um, I certainly wouldn't I'd... have a pay-per-view where every match was a bloody cage match. <laughs> God, it's really that I reminded you of that, hasn't it? I can tell. Oh. And, and the, the fact that one of the great booking geniuses, you know, he had his faults, but that this pay-per-view was first announced by the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, the man who's given us the war game, Halloween Havoc, it gave us a Shockmaster too, but he said, I'm going to put all of my matches in the cage, they're all going to take place in the cage, yeah, not just some big feud between Jeff, uh, AJ Styles and Abyss, but I'm also going to have Elix Skipper against some guy's Bad as Elix Skipper in an unimportant match at the start of the car, baby. Although you do get women's matches in a cage that that's, way. Which that's is... true. The, whenever there's a women's cage match, I remember Raw did it uh, with uh, Victoria and Lisa, I think. That was interesting. Did mm. Trish Strauss ever do a cage match? I don't think she did. She might I... have done it on like a Raw like that, but I don't think she had like a big... That yeah. is interesting. They could do. That's when people would get interested in a cage match if it was something unconventional. If it was yeah. like a women's match, or I, can't I think even think of another novelty. Yeah. Oh, novelty. Uh, well, but then you weird. can't really emphasize barbarism because I don't think barbarism within a women's match really works. It's just. Uh, but then again, you know who's the most popular cage fighter in the world right world now? At the moment. It's oh, this crowd. is. But you know what I mean? I, I've never, ever, ever felt comfortable at the sight of a woman bleeding in a wrestling show. Like Candice LeRae did it at uh, PWG. And, uh, I can understand why they did it, and of course there's equal opportunities and all that, and fine, if she wants to do it, she can do it. But I'm also within my rights to feel uncomfortable at that sight. No, no, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't take that away from you. I I'm not just comfortable feel... with blood in general, really. 
especially like forced blading, mm. because it's 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 self mutilation. If you do it on your arms, suddenly you've got to go to the hospital. But because you know Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes did it on their forehead, that meant they were hard. I uh, um. I'm with you. I, we don't want to focus too much on blood. This, of, of course, a cage match show. Well, it's, it's a necessary think... part of cage matches. A lot of people get angry when there's a cage match without blood. Mm. But I do think blood looks better when it uh, manufactured natural. Like it's hard to man- it's hard to get natural blood, and obviously you can't plan natural blood. Yeah. But I think that's what adds the true realism. That's why fans go mad when you can tell that cut was not done by a, a nice sharp razor little uh, nicked with a razor blade that cut was done with a fist well how many people were desperately trying to figure out like conspiracy theorists if Brock Lesnar had cut himself on purpose or if it was hard way at Wrestlemania but, like people repeating it like gifts almost like JFK you know it wasn't back and to the left it was forehead and then think, hand in the pocket forehead finger in the pocket you know something like that yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird one that like what people well people just have too much time to analyse things. Hence why we do this, I suppose. We say minute forty one into our podcast. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the hypocrisy you can smell. God, it from here. other people are but, such losers. <laughs> yeah, we're cool, but they aren't. <laughs> <laughs> but now, now we've slagged off our entire audience. Um, Twelve of them. Woo! The dozens. The one dozen. (laughs) But um, to the dozen (laughs) and potential extra dozen of our fans. But in terms of the old uh, cage match as a blow-off, now as as its position in the world, it's sort of. Do you you think it's sort of hit relic status in a way? It's sort of feels old school. In, in yeah. some way, it feels old school. Like like them headlining Extreme Rules with a cage match does feel a bit old fashioned. It would be like them headlining. It's like when they headline the Survivor Series occasionally with a traditional five on five Survivor Series match. I know. Everyone gets really confused these days. Yeah. I mean, look. If you give it stakes, if you give it anything emotional stakes, it works. And you can attach emotional stakes to a cage match. The WWE tried that, and some would argue they succeeded a little, with Kane as the gatekeeper. And that was something different. That was a moral conflict on the outside of the cage, as opposed to what's taking place on the inside. Now, that can detract from the hard work and the risks that the performers are taking. But, you know, wasn't Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage's entire feud centred around a little frail 100-pound woman? (laughs) That's true. So, Um... you know... And speaking of uh, the match, not, not to compare Kane to Miss Elizabeth, that's a, a that, very that, fair instance where that comparison's made. That's true. I mean, to they're compare, both equally I'd, beautiful in their own ways. I'd say speaking of the match, I just want about with Rivera as well. And uh, even though that was about the, I think this was a little bit detrimental, but sort of safeguarded Savage. Uh, even though it was about the title in the cage, the uh, defining factor was Miss Elizabeth turning on the Macho Man, and through that moment, like that steady, steadfast rock that had nearly always been beside him, apart from that spell in WWE. Uh, there's a great line from um, Heenan, I think, that, uh, where he just goes, "Do you reckon that's payback for what happened before?" <laughs> it's like, obviously, he can't go into any detail. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. want to go into any detail, but it's a beautiful line from Heenan there, and I'd say. But it, the, the cage wasn't the takeaway from that. It was it, like when people talk about that match, it's like Elizabeth turned on him and he lost the title. They don't go and it were, oh it was a cage match where Elizabeth turned on him. Like that was the main takeaway. Mm. Anyway, I think what we're trying to say sorry is that any gimmick match, cage not cage, Texas ball rope, Viagra on a pole, yeah, it works. Kind of, maybe less with Viagra Paul. So long as you get this appropriate emotional attachment, yeah. people will watch it. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. Uh, it, it means harder work now, because cage matches were a shorthand for, this is a few closer. These people hate each other so much it has to be inside of a cage. Tito Santana and Greg Valentine can't now wrestle in any other kind of environment. It's too dangerous for everyone else surrounding the, um, surrounding the ring. But now it's to, to do it, you have to earn it. Um, I don't think Seth Rollins and Randy Orton earned it enough in their match. 
But I know that there is still another classic cage match just waiting to happen. Maybe it will happen in the WWE. Maybe it will happen in Ring of Honor. Maybe it will happen in TNA. Maybe one day it will happen in Chikara. Although I think Chikara have had a st- one steel cage match. Mm. I might be misremembering that. But, but it must be or, a nightmare uh... trying to get a cage into a small indie show anyway. Because you can't descend it. You do have to build it. I mean, there's classic stories of when CZW do their cage of death matches that one time it took them like an hour and a half to construct the bloody thing. <laughs> and so the crowd just had to just meander around the place. Brilliant. Like, yeah, like, this is the thing. It is... That's what makes the cage match a bit special, I guess, compared, is the fact that it is a big money thing. It's like a cell. Not everyone can build an 18-foot structure. Not everyone can build a 15-foot structure. Mm. Not everyone can build something with, like, bulletproof glass that (laughs) shatters for no reason. Every single bloody time. (laughs) (laughs) I think, thankfully, they have dropped the glass part of it now, but they just call it regular plexiglass or whatever. Right. Now, I think, after looking at the disturbing, intimidating confines of the cage and the disturbing images of our own faces. It's time now, Simon, for us to look up at the Grand Vista and on that Mount Rushmore of steel cage matches. What do we see in front of us? Simon, what are the four images you see on your Mount Rushmore of steel cage matches? Ooh, I'm going first. Cool. Right, so I will go... I'm going to start with the good. Oh, so you're going for bad as well as good, okay. Oh, yeah, God, there, uh, there has to be a bad in the Mount Rushmore's. Well, there if has it's to bad be in a Mount wa- Rushmore, then it'd be like George W. Bush up there. Yeah. <laughs> but I, what I like to do with Mount Rushmore is I do like to include an example of this is why the other three... A, this is why the other three are good, and B, this is what you bloody well should not do. Well, we say Mount Rushmore as definitive, and very often what defines something is its worst aspects as well as its best aspects. So, hmm. by all means, make your own... Okay, so good. It's been mentioned already. Uh, it's St. Valentine's Day Massacre cage match. Mm-hmm. For many reasons. Uh, one, the actual match itself was decent for a cage match, considering it had a, like, a 50-plus man in it, uh, who wasn't a wrestler. Mm. Uh, two, it helped like debut the big show in quite a spectacular fashion. Mm. Three, Austin won, but he didn't win. Yeah. In a way that like kind of covered everyone's backs. And, it allowed for and four, yeah. and most importantly... It's uh, the way that Shane trained him up in the months before. Yeah. With the, Vin- the Shane McMahon, Vince McMahon training montage is one of the best McMahon segments ever. It's and wonderful- I will fight everyone yeah. on that point. It's a wonderful incorporation of humour within a more serious storyline. And this was a storyline. I mean, this was the first proper match between the two of them. They'd, you know, Austin had fought proxies for Vince McMahon until this point. You know, they were going to have that one match when Dude Love entered, and that was the first time they beat Nitro in the ratings. And they built that up over an 11-month feud to its culmination, and then the final capper of that at WrestleMania 15. If, I've always said this, if the Vince McMahon character had disappeared from screens after WrestleMania 15, having been beaten himself at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and his image of the proper champion, The Rock, being beaten at WrestleMania 15... If Vince McMahon had left, at that point, he's the greatest heel character, and that's the greatest heel run in the history of wrestling. I honestly believe that. Uh, on with your second point. Okay, so, I've done... I've done bad. Uh, I've, well, I've done good. Now I'm going to do recent. Uh, we've mentioned Again, we've mentioned this one already. Purely for the way I think it perfectly encapsulated the like removal of a heel's greatest weapon and how he overcame it, through managing to use it anyway was is Kane is uh, Orton versus Rollins at Extreme Rules wow. I really enjoyed it as a cage match that's going in your Mount Rushmore you do like to go over the recent stuff don't you Simon that's very interesting I, I, I don't, purely because do you really I'm just going to just going to play devil's advocate here do you think that in three years time people will remember anything about that match I think they'll remember a couple of things uh, from that match but it's not the high spots I'm going for it's the way it perfectly encapsulates uh, the cage match was a perfect crutch to accentuate and encapsulate the characteristics of Seth Rollins mm. and further cement their next heel golden boy 
by using the previous heel golden one, quite bizarre, uh passing of the torch in a sense. You make a compelling case. Okay, so that's the recent. Now Onwards. I'm going to go to the bad. Okay, so this is the god awful bad. And I'm going to go. I can't remember the year. <laughs> I can, I'm going to go for the bad. This is the bad one. So this is. Uh, I can't remember the year. Uh, I remember it was TNA Lethal Lockdown. And it is James Storm versus Chris Harris in a blindfold cage match, mm. which is proof, conclusive proof, that less is more. If you're in a cage match, you do not need to add stuff onto it. Well, that was the craziness. With one or two exceptions. Of those blindfolds lo- do not really belong in wrestling anymore. That was the craziness of those lethal lockdown matches, that they had to have a gimmick on top of the gimmick. So one was a cage match, and then it was a cage... Summer escape rules, uh, it would be a cage tables match, or it would be a cage ladder match, or it would be a clockwork orange house of fun match. Uh, yeah, oh, oh so stupid. Oh, uh, and, and then they had a great match, like, the month after, didn't they? Like a last man standing match or something like that. That uh, uh, yeah, was basically just, making uh, up for what they, you know, what had happened previously. Yeah. So it was just the gimmick hindering them. Exactly. Mm. Uh, and my fourth and final pick, uh, I'm going to go, I I am going to go in many ways for a little bit, it's a blue bar one. Okay. It, it's an old one, uh, but I quite liked it, and it's the, it is the Edge versus Christian match, because okay. again, hate, face versus heel in the great way, and the cage accentuated it, and you had obviously the cage being used in such a uh, nifty fashion for the finish as well. Okay. So I know there's three WWEs and one from this week in there, but there is my big four, my okay. Mount Rushmore. Well, we're going to have, this is going to be one of the ones where we're going to have a bit of conflict, because I'm not having any of those in my Mount Rushmore. Um, here we go. Here's what I'm starting off with. I'm going to start off Cheers, with... Cheers, mate. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. That's just how we have it sometimes. Um, first one, I'm going to yeah. have... Blue bars, great match. And if you want to say the greatest use of the escape rule and, and creating tension and drama around that, I'm going with Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, SummerSlam 94, half-hour classic, five-star, flat-out, maybe, you know, depending on what you look at, either the equal or the superior to their WrestleMania 10 match. And Ooh. it was, it, it was absolutely, it's an absolutely phenomenal match where you had the crowd, they had the crowd on the, at the palm of their hands, on the palm of their hands, they manipulated them and they went on for 30 minutes and there was brutality, but there was technical and there was beauty and there was wrestling and there wasn't any blood, but you got across the, the heat and the passion within these two feuding brothers, finally just letting it all hang out and battering the crap out of each other whilst trying to also escape the ring. Because that was the point where all reluctance had left Brett. Because he was still sort of reluctant at WrestleMania at the start. Mm. I mean, he got into it, obviously, with the babyface fire-up from the heel, like, uh, getting the advantage. But by that point, he was just like, right, I know you're my brother, but I'm going to beat the ever-living piss out of you. Uh, I'm also... I was going to go for Jerry Lawler's classic match with... Um, Austin Idol in Memphis in 1987, which was also a hair versus hair match, where shock of all shocks, Lawler actually lost the match thanks to the chicanery of Paulie Dangerously and Tommy Rich and Austin Idol and the crowd damn near riots whilst they're shaving Jerry Lawler's head in the ring. I was going to include that, Simon, but you know what I found out when I looked back at it? The cage had a surrounding outside area. So within the strict Ooh. confines of the rules I'd laid down to you, I couldn't have that. And that's how Memphis cage matches were. They would have an outside area available. So that's that's a technicality. I also very nearly included Hulk Hogan against the Big Boss Man with the classic suplex off the top of the cage spot at Saturday night's main event. And also I think that was the debut of Zeus as a oh, wrestling God. character. So I've had to eliminate those... So, just going back, that's those are the ones, those are the um, also-rans. So, I've got Bret Hart versus Owen Hart. Then I'm going to go, I'm going really old school with my cage matches. They're all WWE, oh no, they're not all WWF, they're like you, it's three WWF, one non-WWF. Next, I'm going to go with Jimmy Snooker against Don Morocco, 
where Ooh. it was the class that was the Madison Square Garden match, Mick Foley in the front row, Jimmy Snooker jumping off the top of the cage, the precursor to hardcore wrestling, death-defying moves, crazy spots. If you want to know why Jeff Hardy jumps off the top of a ladder, if you want to know why every year someone's getting powerbombed through a table or powerbombed through a ladder, if you want to know why Mick Foley jumped off the top of a cell and landed on a table, it's because that match where Jimmy Snooker did a flying splash on top of Don Morocco. It wasn't the only match where Jimmy Snooker did the jump off the top. He did it when he was a heel against Bob Backlund, and Bob Backlund moved out of the way. But that's the one that's always on the repeats. That's the classic image. That's the Hall of Fame moment. So that's two. Next one on the list is Bruno Sammartino against Larry Zbysko, where it's the classic... It's one of the greatest feuds of all time. The old master, the young student, him rebelling against his one, sneak attacking him, shedding blood on Bruno Sammartino, and then letting it all out at Shea Stadium in a cage, and it finally ending with Bruno Sammartino just beating the piss out of Larry Zabisco, leaving him a bloody heap on the floor and calmly walking out the door. That's an example of the escape rule working. Because he did everything he needed to and he just walked away like John Wayne walking off into the sunsets. He did what he had to do he did what he had to do and it was over. That's a compelling example of the babyface uh, escape work and I will give you that one. And finally, the reason that I think all cage matches should end in a submission, it's Magnum TA, Tully Blanchard, Star Day Four, the Steel Cage I Quit match. These two men hate each other so much and there's so much pride. You can't imagine either of them being willing to embarrass themselves by submitting because they hate their opponents so much. And it ending with Tully Blanchard creating a spike out of a wooden chair and trying to stab it into the head of Magnum TA. Magnum TA rolling away, grabbing the spike, jamming it into Tully Blanchard's head. Tully Blanchard having to submit but not actually saying, I quit. He just says, yes. And that's ultimately as far as he's willing to go. And then he's just a crying mess of tears and snot and blood in the ring. Magnum TA is about to attack him again with the spike because he hates him so much and there's been so much brutality. And then he just looks at the the cowarding, the, the crying, sad, ruined, pathetic Tully Blanchard. He looks at the spike. He thinks, what have I become? He drops the spike. He throws Tully Blanchard down to the ground and he walks away. He's won, but at what cost? To me, that's the brutality of a steel cage match right there. And that's why they should all end in submission, as far as I'm concerned. So those are my four. Bret Hart v. Owen Hart. Jimmy Snooker against Don Morocco. Bruno Sammartino against Larry Zbysko. And Magnum TA against Tully Blanchard. So one, of strange... us, so one of us is going to have to give way here. <laughs> it's a strange position, because uh, usually we have a lot of back and forth about this. Uh, and it can get quite heated, but... Because I've gone for the good, the recent, the ugly, and the and possibly a little bit of nostalgia of, of my own, uh, my my lineup <laughs> it does not compare to yours in any stretch of the imagination. I'd say, with the possible exception of, of uh, Edge, well, of Austin McMahon, yeah. See, with Edge and Christian, that just to me, no offense, that feels like a pale imitation of Bret Hart, Owen Hart. Yeah, I suppose. But it's which one of yours would I be willing to uh, agree on? Uh, and which one of yours compelling. would you be willing to get rid of? I think... Uh, I mean, I, I have. I, I get... Like, I want the point why I've done it to be in there. Mm. I really do, but... I think you're right in saying I shouldn't really have put a bad one in the Mount Rushmore, but I did want to make that point of this is what can go wrong with a cage match. I can understand. So I want that on record. Honest, if, I was, if I was to make an argument against you, I would suggest either dropping Edge and Christian because what they do is done better by Brett and Owen, or by dropping Seth Rollins and Randy Orton because I feel like that's too recent in the memory and we don't know how definitive that is yet. There are many other great definitive moments in Seth Rollins' career and character that don't necessarily get best encapsulated by that cage match. True, uh, but I'd I'd be more willing to drop the edge Christian. So let, let, let's call that the one that dropped one. Okay. And what do you take <sighs> in its place? Brett Owen, Magnum Tully, Bruno Zabisco, Snooker Morocco. I'd have to say, purely for the evolution of the cage match, it would have to be Snooker Morocco. Okay. 
I think because the other three are very good choices. Like, mm. don't get me wrong, like it's no slight against those, but it did do so much for the cage match and beyond the cage match. Mm. The only thing that I could say arguing against it, against it is the screwy finish, the nature of the screwy finish, and it's a bit of a cop-out. But it's playing and it's being clever and cute in its own way with those rules. Mm. So... so. I mean, like that, but, but you're going to get that with, like... You get screwy m- finishes m- throughout the matches. history of wrestling. Exactly, exactly. So, that's what we're going for, then. The definitive cage match. Jimmy Superfly Snooker against Don Morocco. So, that has been the end of that heated discussion. The construction workers are now manfully trying to take apart piece by piece the steel cage and allow us to escape and go out into the real world where maybe one time we'll actually talk to a girl and until then oh, Simon if people want to get in touch with you in the virtual world how can they do so uh, I'm pretty easily to get hold of in the virtual world you can either find me on Facebook you can uh, uh, I'm cross free on Twitter so be cool because uh, I am in- engulfed entirely in bronze so therefore <laughs> to uh to replicate that, I have called myself the third best Simon Cross in the world. I like it. I like. I like the. the <coughs> and also find different reasons you're giving as it goes on. It's good work, man. <laughs> it's a good gimmick. I like your gimmick, kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find my footballing uh, talk on Mid Table Crisis with Sir Thomas of Patrick. So that's Mid Table Crisis. That's your Twitters. That's what have you. Um, for let me tell you something in general. Like our Facebook page. Um, subscribe to us on SoundCloud. We will try to get this up on iTunes in the interim. When we get it up, we will let you know. But SoundCloud's app, app is quite easy to use. Uh, I, I myself have downloaded the SoundCloud app to see how accessible we are, mm. and I can report it's a, it's a breeze. Mm. If you have any ideas, any, any episodes you'd like us to do, do get in touch. You can get in touch with Simon, as previously stated. You can get in touch with me. We will create a Twitter page and what have you for, let me tell you something, when we finally find a Twitter handle that seems reasonable for you to remember. And Lorcan gets over his fear of social media. And I get over my fear of just people in general. (laughs) Um, But if you want to get in touch with me and... uh, No, if you want to get in touch with me, I will get in touch with you. I'm 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 not bloody... I don't know, serial killer in the in the making, you know? Well, I was going to go for Ringo Starr, yeah. like, just not returning fan mail. Yeah. You took it to a dark path there. At worst, I'm a jaywalker. Um, <laughs> my name is Lorcan Mullen, and that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple N. That is my Twitter handle. That's my Facebook name. And that's also the name of my authorial pen name. If you were to go onto Amazon and you have a Kindle app or any kind of ebook reader... Get yourself a copy of Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. I promise you, if you thought that William Makepeace Thackeray was a fine author, you'll think, surely I am okay at stringing sentences together too. But until the next time, I've been Lorca Mullen. And I've been Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great time until the next time. Farewell, Bracken fans. Am I done? <laughs> I think that would be a great gimmick. Jay Walker. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a crap like 90s gimmick, but it would be... You know what I mean? does, he, does he like does he like walk in during during other people's matches he just walks across across the ring saying I'm within my rights this is public <laughs> access pro- <laughs> this is public. I can't find a stop sign anywhere <laughs> what you how done, else am I supposed to get to the candy floss what you could have done is you could have done like a pre three minute warning kind of thing where he did it for about what four five six months and like wrestlers are just like either stop or like not notice him because I, I, they'd have to be outside or someone would be hammering away at a turnbuckle and then one day have someone like the Undertaker like 90s Undertaker just grab him and <laughs> slam him and that'd be the end of it that'd be the end of the character damn <laughs> jaywalkers but you could just think but then the then his cousin, the car windshield cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> Next week.
<laughs> oh, Gotta make Eddie. wrestling more relatable, goddammit. <laughs> that was a roll-up. Of audacity files. Pin, yeah, I was going to say, pinned after a roll-up from Windex. <laughs> <laughs> my god, my god, he's got Windex in his ass. That could blind you, King. That could blind you. But at least it's streak-free. <laughs> <laughs> I won't stand. His breath does smell better. Uh, <laughs> that's brilliant. Oh, you've got to edit all that out the file now because I've still not hit stop. <laughs>